Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. On today's episode, we are going to be responding to Millard Erickson's uh, response to open theists on Genesis 6-6. This is coming from his book, What Does God Know and When Does He Know It? He starts this passage as such, Genesis 6-6 and 7. This is one of the most interesting and most frequently cited passages. The open theists are unanimous and emphatic in their interpretation of this passage. Here God surveys the evil thoughts and actions of humans and contemplates what he will do. The key expression comes in verse 6 where the text says that God was grieved or repented that he had made man on earth. And verse 7 where God says, For I am grieved or repent that I have made them. Boyd does very little real exegesis of this passage. On a side note, that's probably true. Boyd probably takes the text on face value, as do non-open non, uh, theists, such as John Calvin. John Calvin, he, he degrades the text. He says that it's just baby talk. It's nonsense. He, he acknowledges, at least, the face value reading of it is uh, critically against his theology, that if that verse were taken at face value, his theology would be false. So he, he employs this mitigating technique in order to degrade the passage. It's just anthropomorphic. It's just, just baby talk that it's just condescending to our level of knowledge. It really doesn't mean what it's saying there. We need to understand that God's ways are higher than what's being described. And Miller Erickson, I don't think he does too much better than Calvin in this regard. So let's skip forward a little bit and hear what Millard Erickson has to say about this text. The major issue here is the meaning of the Hebrew word Neham. This is in the Niffle stem. The Niffle stem, where do we see that? Hmm, hmm. How about God is not a man that he should repent in Samuel? I got the all, all uses of the word pulled up here in this listing, and the same word being used in Genesis 6-6 six, six is also the same one being used in 1 Samuel 15-29. Hmm, that's a real problem. You you would think maybe maybe they're being used almost the same. In the same way that God repents in Genesis 6, God doesn't repent in 1 Samuel 15, 29. It seems to be a rational take on this. So I would have to say that the default view is that the words being used in the, as the, in the same way in both instances. And that's besides the fact that uh, all these, these punctuations that tell you what type of stem it's in, they're not in the original Hebrew. Those are later editions. So you could think of those as commentary on the text. And so, it's not quite critical what stem it is unless you consider the Masoretic text uh, a divinely inspired commentary on the original Hebrew text itself, which I don't. I think that the Dead Sea Scrolls probably has a more accurate Old Testament than we find in the Masoretic 10th century text. But that's neither here nor there. So this is what he says. The simple passive stem of the verb which also carries reflective meaning. Huh, reflective meaning. So God repents himself or some object is repenting God. Both of those ideas uh, destroy divine immutability. They both destroy divine impassibility. And Erickson does just this. He writes, in that stem, it can have several possible meanings. According to Brown, Driver, and Briggs, to be sorry, moved with pity, to be sorry, rue, suffer grief, repent. To comfort oneself, be comforted, to be relieved, and ease oneself. One thing we need to notice 
particularly about all these possible definitions is all of them invalidate immutability and impassibility. This is not a Calvinist friendly proof text. It gives potentiality to God. God's not pure actuality, pure action with uh, no potentiality to be other. He has relationships and relations and he changes. God is not immutable and impassable. You, in order to uh, maintain one of those attributes of God, uh, pure actuality, impassibility, immutability, you have to discount. Discount this verse in some respect like Calvin does. This verse just doesn't mean what it says. Here's what Millard Erickson writes. The problem is determining which of these meanings of the word bears in this passage. Is it, is it, is, is that actually real critical? I don't know if Millard Erickson actually read and understands the verse that he's actually discussing. Let's turn to Genesis 6, 6 and see what it says. Let's go. We'll try the ESV. That, that sounds pretty good. Genesis 6, 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry I have made them. All right, so God is passive in this. God is being passively repented or passively grieved or passively comforted, what is the object, what, what is the actor, what's the actor that's acting on God causing this repentance? From the text, it says, for I am sorry I have made them. And what's God regretting? That he had made man on earth. That he had made man on earth is the thing regretting God. It's God's own actions which God is regretting. So God is being acted on by his previous action. God is regretting being sorrowed, being grieved by his previous action. It's not as people want to take this verse to say that God's just responding to the sin and he's regretting the sin that's come. He's regretting his own actions in making man, which, which materializes in, in this narrative as God destroying the entire earth. And so God regrets that he made man and then he wipes out man. This is the undoing of the action that he regrets. It flows in narrative. The narrative isn't, oh, he saw the men and the men were, were all sinful. And uh, as what's in the Bible, they got that little song about uh, God flooding the world that he's just trying to drown out sin. No. Sin has a way of spreading. So much so that one of Adam and Eve's sons turned on his brother and killed him. Oh, no. Then there were more and more people and more and more sin until God's creation was drowning in sin. God decided the only way to keep his creation from drowning in sin was to drown the sin. So he flooded the whole world. And no, no, that's, that's not his intent here. His intent is that his prior actions have grieved him. He needs to undo his prior actions. In these verses, that's what's repenting God. So not, not according to Millard Erickson. Millard Erickson's not understanding this verse. He thinks that it's crucial that God's being acted upon. Yeah, what, what's, what's the thing acting upon God? What's causing this emotion? What do the verses say? And it's God's own action. God is repenting himself. God's own prior actions have caused him grief, regret, suffering. It probably not comforting. It's not, 
oh, uh, this prior action in creating man is comforting me, so we could probably rule that one out. But uh, everything else, being sorry, to rue, to suffer grief, to be moved, to pity, have compassion, probably not the compassion one because he, he just drowns them all out. That's It's not a compassionate thing. But the repentance definitely plays very well into the story, into the narrative, into the flow of events. And so contextually, contextually, it's the open theist proof text. It's it's the open theist uh, it's the open theist reading. This is why it's not denied by John Calvin what this is saying, and he has to find some other way to mitigate the text. But Millard Erickson has found someone else to mitigate the text for him. And let's find out about that. Some commentators, this is Millard Erickson, some commentators see a parallel here with Lamech's statement in Genesis 5.29, which shares three words with this verse, Wahim speaks of the ironic punning of Hebrew text. This parallelism suggests that the meaning of comfort in that passage also applies here, but it should be observed that Nahum there is in the peel, simple, active, intensive stem, Westerman suggests that the parallelism between El Labo and verse 6 and El Labo and verse 5 means that just as God is depicted anthropomorphically in verse 5 when he sees human evil, so the statement about him here shows that this human way of speaking is used deliberately of God. This is one of the, these strategies where we don't want to take this verse seriously, and that means that's evidence that we shouldn't take this verse over here seriously. So within the Bible, God is always watching. In the Psalms, God watches the ways of man from heaven. In the Proverbs, his eyes are on the ways of the good and the evil. There's always a visual omniscience being described as how God sees the things that happen on earth. The cries, cries go up to God. They ascend to God. We find that in the Nineveh situation. We find it in the Exodus situation. Various other places in the Bible, God is watching the world. And this needs to be discounted. This needs to be said, oh, this is not an accurate description of how God functions and operates. He's got this attribute of omniscience, which means all true facts are automatically in his head no matter what. He doesn't gain information from outside himself. That's not the biblical picture, but it's the biblical picture that they use to discount God seeing, and therefore they use the same concept to discount God regretting. This is not biblical theology we're doing here. It's speculative theology. It's undermining the text. Matthews notes not only the parallel between the two verbs in verse 6, but also the similarity to the painful consequences of sin for the man and woman in 3.16 and 17 and 5.29. Thus, here, God also experiences the painful consequences of the sin of humans. Matthews maintains that Genesis 6, 6, and 7 is describing the emotional anguish of God. Our verse does not present an abstract statement about God's decision-making. What? This would be altogether out of place for the intention of the passage, which depicts God as wronged by the presumptuous sin of humanity. Moreover, the parameters of this verse have been dictated by the author's intention to imitate 529 with its distinctive vocabulary and mood. And so he's saying this is not God's deliberation process. That's what? Why? Because, because it mirrors a different verse somewhere else that means means it doesn't it's it's not indicative of his reasoning process it, it seems to me that that's giving motivation to characters in a narrative that's that seems to be what's going on there uh it'd be odd if uh there's a whole narrative describing 
all all the mental gymnastics that go on, the, the twists, the turns, the the cares, considerations, concerns of the the characters in the text, and and that's not to be taken seriously, right? That's that's a weird concept. It seems like we're again not doing biblical theology. Here's the verse that they keep quoting. This is Genesis 5:29. We're going to start in 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, "Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toils of our hands." So the word there in consideration is this one shall bring us relief, which is the Nahum, which is the comfort from our work. This is uh, reprieve. This one's going to give us reprieve. This one's going to solve our work problems and from the t- painful toil of our hands. For so some, for some reason, for some reason, that means that God's repentance in the next chapter is not to be taken seriously. I don't see the argument. I don't think it is an argument. I think it's uh, negating the narrative that actually happens in Genesis 6. And non-open theist scholars, John Calvin, agree with me. So I'm going to stick with John Calvin on this one. He actually actually knows what he's talking about quite, quite often, quite often. He's worth consulting on these things. So Millard Erickson, he writes this whole book against open theism. He thinks the open theist argument against Genesis 6 is... Uh, there's there's an alternative reading. The alternative reading apparently is that God just has emotional reaction to human sin, which I don't see in the text. He thinks that it's not describing God's thoughts, behavior, motivation, that it's not a turning point in the narrative that functions in the narrative for a specific purpose to drive forth action. I think it is. I think the, the open theists have the only textual reading of this, and I think the only way to mitigate this is to do something such that John Calvin does, where this is just metaphorical. It's not to be taken seriously. It's supposed to maybe teach us a lesson, teach us something that uh, we could take home and apply to ourselves. Uh, it's condescension. It uh, doesn't actually represent reality, That, but it benefits us in some way other than telling us about God, his character, his nature, how he acts, how he thinks, how he operates. I think that tends to be the only consistent way to mitigate this particular text. Anyways, comments, questions, put that down in the YouTube comments. Start a thread on the God is Open Facebook page. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 